Oh, we're glad you're here. We're in week three of our Christmas series and we get to walk uh, into another part of the story this morning. So let me ask you, everybody in the land online in here, how many of you have ever taken anything personally? Yeah, it's easy to take things personally. I got the most offensive email I've ever gotten in my life about two months ago. You'll never guess who it came from. And before you say it, it didn't come from Joe. Let's be clear, okay? Some lady yesterday at 4.30 went, Joe, right? Uh, no, it didn't come from Joe. It came from Great Clips. Yeah, Great Clips. I've been getting my hair cut at Great Clips forever, right? Listen, it, you, if you think that you're a gambler, right, because you gamble, you ain't gambled at all till you go get your hair cut at Great Clips every month, okay? You never know what you're getting, but I've been going there for years, and I got an email from them about two months ago. And here was the heading, right? Here was the heading. Five simple haircuts for elderly men. Yep. So that day I became a sports clips guy, right? I'm done, right? I was, I was, I'm still offended. I'm pretty sure, right? But it's easy, man, it's easy to take things personally. It's a whole different thing when something becomes personal to you. Right When something becomes meaningful for you, even though the words are similar, the thoughts are completely different, right? For me, there are things in this world that are personal to me, and this is one of them. Take a good look at it, all right? If, if you stare at it long enough, it'll change your heart and soul, okay? But for me, just the symbol of that helmet Right? Listen, that's personal to me. And I know it's, it's weird and goofy and we all have those things, right? But ever since I was six years old, I can remember that helmet because that's what we did on Sundays was watch football. And the only team we got to watch was the Bears because it was the only channel that came in on the antenna, right? So you learn to root for what was in front of you, right? And that's how I became a Bears fan, right? And so when this season is over, Right, the thing that I will miss the most is seeing that helmet because for me, the helmet represents everything that I love about that team. Well, today in the story of the Christmas narrative, we're going to talk about a little girl named Mary who had a chance to take something incredibly personal, right? She could have taken all of this personally, but instead she let it become personal to her. So let's set some context of this story. Here's what Luke says in Luke 1:26. He says in the sixth month, Gabriel, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a small town in Galilee, to a virgin who was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you found favor with God. You'll be with child and you'll give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Listen, at this point in time, overwhelming for sure, right? Listen, if an angel shows up in your house and greets you and says, hey, you, you, you're you on God's good side, it's going to feel a little bit awkward and overwhelming. Yes or no? Yes. And then if he tells you you're going to have a baby and you're going to call his name Jesus, 
right? That's going to be overwhelming. Yes. But as a good Jewish girl, it wasn't like she didn't understand what he was saying. She understood the prophecies. She understood the Messiah would come, right? Overwhelming. Yes. Right. But then it gets weird because she says, how is this going to be since I am still a virgin? Angel said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you so that the Holy One or the baby to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. So now it's gone from weird to incredibly personal, right? Because I don't know about you, but how many of you like other people making decisions for you? Not a fan, right? God shows up and says, here's what's going to happen, Mary. That's one thing. But then he says, God's going to be in charge of making it happen. And guess what? We're not asking your opinion about any of this. You're a 14, 15, 16-year-old Jewish girl engaged to be married, a virgin, right? And here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a baby. God's going to be the dad. We're not asking your permission. This is what's going to happen. Overwhelming? Yeah, incredibly overwhelming, right? Goes on to say this. Mary's response is this. We could all be so faithful and so willing to be obedient. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her, right? Now, as soon as she hears this, she's got some things to do. And what's interesting to me, the first thing she does is she does not go to Joseph. The first thing she does, according to scripture, is this in verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, so the first thing she did was she packed up and she went to her aunt's house. This woman, who the angel said was pregnant, who was old and was barren. She goes, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby inside of Elizabeth, who we know as John the Baptist, leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she said in a loud voice, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored, Elizabeth asked, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She goes on to say, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. She goes and she meets Elizabeth. And as soon as Elizabeth greets her and calls her blessed among women, Mary speaks what we now know as her song. So I'm going to ask you to stand, to land uh, here in Ormond stand. We're going to read God's word. And this is Mary's song in response to Elizabeth. And here's what she says. Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he has said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. You can be seated. Mary's song. Many of you who grew up in churches uh, like the Lutheran church, the Catholic church, even an Anglican church will know this passage of scripture because it's quoted, right? It's in the common book of prayer. It's recited, right? It's called the Magnificat, right? Which means magnificence from the Latin, right? Which means to magnify, right? And this little passage of scripture has quite a little history, right? Because of its content of overthrowing rulers and exalting humble, right? For feeding the hungry and throwing away the rich, right? Because of the language of the Magnificat, there have been countries that have banned the public reading of the scripture. El Salvador and Guatemala through the years have banned it from being read publicly because they were concerned of its subversive nature, that they wouldn't be able to lord it over people if they began to listen to these words. Britain outlawed it in India when they were colonizing India. Argentina banned it during the dirty wars when the mothers of the missing children would post the Magnificat across the streets and across the cities. It was banned from public display and reading. It's got quite a little history because the language that's contained in of God overthrowing rulers and God casting away rich and God taking down the proud become banned. There's a gentleman named Ben Wildflower. He is an artist. He grew up in an evangelical church, eventually found his way to an Anglican church and began to be aware of this passage of scripture. And when he began to read it and began to listen to it as it was recited, he created what is still what is still to this day his most popular work of art. And it's a picture of Mary from the Magnificat, right? Because his interpretation of it after listening to it and hearing it was that Mary was a revolutionary, right? Cast down the mighty, send the rich away. She stands on a skull on top of a snake crushing it, right? And to this day, I emailed Ben Wildflower this week to see if I could get uh, a shirt shipped with this in time for the weekend sermon, but I wasn't able to, but I was able to talk to him. And to this day, this is still his most famous work of art. People love it because so many people who read Mary's song, the Magnificat, treat it as revolutionary. That the language contained in it was designed to create a revolution against rulers and against proud people so that the humble and the hungry would be exalted. Unfortunately, that was not Mary's intent. Revolutionary? Yes, but not to overthrow a government. Mary's heart in her song had a completely different revolution in mind. And I want to show that to you by just two things real quick here. And here's the first one. The first one is the pillar of posture. How many of you have ever said to your kids or been told by your parents when you were growing up, sit up straight, right? Dad said it all the time, right? My dad would get on us all the time about having great posture, right? I mean, as, as I'm sitting up here when I preach, I constantly in my head hear my dad say, sit up straight, right? Sit up straight because the reality is when you do a little research, you find out that there are a lot of benefits to having a good posture, Right? When you have a good posture, right? You have fewer backaches, supposedly, fewer headaches, supposedly. You have greater lung capacity, which gives you more energy, and you find yourself with more confidence, right? Posture matters. 
everybody who does any research, and listen, you know it. You know that posture matters. If you spend your whole day, if you spend your whole life humped over like this, as opposed to having a good posture, you simply know the difference. Yes or no? Posture matters. Well, here's the thing about Mary's revolutionary song. You get a picture of her posture in her very first words. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Everybody say, my soul, right? She says, my soul. That word in the Greek is the Greek word suke. It's the word, it's the Greek word from which we get our word psychology from, right? And here's the thing about the suke, right? It's something all of us, the land, online, everybody in here, it's something that we're all incredibly familiar with, right? The soul of the, of the person, the soul that you have inside of you. Mary said, it's my soul that magnifies the Lord. Let me show you a place where this word is used just to give you an idea how important the soul is. Mark chapter 8, Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and listen to what Jesus says. If anyone would come after me, right? If you're in here in the land online and you have come after Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me hear you say amen, right? He says, if you want to come after me, you must what? Say it with me. Deny yourself, right? Take up your cross and follow me. It's not complicated to be a Christian. It's pretty simple. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. For whoever wants to save his what? Life. That's the Greek word suke, soul, right? Whoever wants to save their soul is going to lose it. But whoever loses their soul for me, Jesus, and for the gospel, they're going to be able to save it. He says, what good does it do a man or a woman to gain the entire world yet forfeit his what? His soul. He says it this way, or what? Can or would a man or a woman give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, Jesus says, I will be ashamed of them when he will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. You see, the battle or the message of Christmas is very simple. God cared about your soul. His desire was to come to rescue your soul. Listen, we live in a world today, we're not fighting for our soul. We spend most of our life fighting for our life. The things that we want, the things that we want to be known for, the things we want to achieve, right? And yet at the end of the day, here's what Jesus said. What will it profit you if you gain everything you want and yet to get it, you have to give up your soul? And the reality is billions of people are making that exchange every day. Or he says, what can you give? What can you get? What can you get from the world that you would be willing to give in exchange for your soul? And here's the thing about the soul. Whether you're in here in Ormond or in Deland or online, here's my guess. Every one of you, every one of us knows the sound the soul makes when it cries out for something more. My guess is you know it. Listen, I've had many a dark night of the soul where my soul has wondered if there's more. Someone said to me yesterday, last night, as a matter of fact, I got a text and it said this, I feel weird. I don't even know how to be a person, LOL. And all I heard in that text was a person's soul crying out for more. 
There are people sitting in this room in the land watching online that know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been walking through this world. You've been trying to figure out what it is, what it is that's going to satisfy that voice inside of you. And Mary makes it clear. Your posture matters. My soul magnifies the Lord. The reality is that your soul can only be satisfied with one thing. It's not drug addiction. It's not alcohol abuse. It's not a, it's not a homestead where your whole family comes together, right? Those things are wonderful, right? They're great, but they do not satisfy the soul. They will not work in exchange for the soul. And too many people, as Joe said last week, there's a difference between believing and being a Christian. And this is the difference here. What does your soul What does your soul magnify? What is it in you that ultimately gets the glory? Because the word magnify means to enlarge, to make big, to make great, to make exceeding. Every one of us, our souls will magnify something. Have you magnified your family, your career? Have you magnified money, your looks? Have you magnified sex? Have you magnified anything else? Whatever your soul magnifies, that's what you're willing to give in exchange for it. There's just too many people who missed the message of Christmas. Mary was revolutionary, but she wasn't trying to overthrow Rome. Mary's message of revolution was, my soul needs a savior. And let's be clear today. My goal isn't to be offensive to you because I don't know where you've come from in your walk with the Lord, right? But the reality is this, Mary, Mary isn't any different than you are. God chose her to be the mother of his son. Remarkable, miraculous, incredible. Amen, church? Is Mary to be blessed among women? Yes or no? Of course she is. But did you hear Mary? Even Mary understood she needed a savior. She said, my my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices with God, my savior. Mary can't save you. Mary never could save you. Mary isn't able to make absolution for you. Mary needed the same absolution and the same savior that you needed. The only difference was her baby happened to be her savior. And she understood it. She understood the posture required. Listen to Matthew 10, 28, just so you get how important your soul is. Matthew 10, 28 says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. He says, instead... Rather, you should be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body. Where? In hell. Listen, we have lost our minds. And if we haven't, we're on the verge of it. Right? I, I love listening to audiobooks through the Audible app. I love it. I'm in the 600s. I drive a lot, so I listen to a lot of books. All of them are, are, not all of them, but most of them are special warfare, black ops, those kind of things. I love it because apparently in my subconscious, I'd like to be a superhero, right? (laughs) But I don't think that's in the cards, so I just listen, right? And the new books that deal with these black op kind of operations are all dealing with one enemy, and the enemy is artificial intelligence. Have you heard of this? Right? Listen, I don't know about you, but it is easy, especially in today's world, if you do any type of research and any type of reading, you can become freaked out about about a government that you believe is trying to kill you. 
right? And you can become the kind of person that begins to, to, to dig, right? Shelters and store food, right? And pack things away because you believe that the government's trying to kill you. Let me be clear about what scripture says. Scripture says, do not be afraid of only of those who can only kill the body. We have become consumed within the church about a government that we believe is trying to kill us. Let's be clear. Scripture says your soul is more important than your body. You should not be consumed with worrying about who will kill your body. Instead, we should be consumed with the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Somebody say amen. Listen, I get it. I listen to that stuff and I hear myself in my head say, stay focused. Because it's a rabbit hole that all of us could live in. You could get carried away worrying about what's going to happen in the government and what their plan is and what kind of crazy, what kind of crazy conspiracies out there and what are people doing? I get it. Your mind can wonder, but let's be clear. Mary said, my soul, my soul cries out and it magnifies the Lord. And Jesus said, what will you give in exchange for your soul? Right? Will it profit you to gain everything the world has? Will it profit you to protect your body? Will it profit you to protect your land and your family? Will it profit you in the end? He says, no, because you've become afraid of those that can kill your body when you forgot the person who can kill your body and soul in hell. The message of Christmas is God cares about your soul more than anything in the world. And he sent his son, Jesus, to make sure that you have a savior. Somebody say amen. Mary's posture was from her soul. It wasn't from her mind and it wasn't from her body. Listen, Mary's Mary's situation was beyond what you and I can comprehend. And yet she got to the heart of it. It's my soul. It's my soul. It's my soul that matters. If you're here today, if you're in Deland today, if you're watching online and you know the cry of your soul, listen, there's good news for you. The news is that Jesus came to satisfy the need of your soul. The bottom of the bottle won't do it. The guy that you're dating won't do it. The gal that you're dating won't do it. The job that you're looking for won't do it. The career that you're looking for won't do it. And listen, if you've got, listen, I turned 60 last week. Woo woo, right? Listen. Whatever, right? Whatever. Move on, right? Nothing to see here. Apparently, great, great clips got five haircuts for me, right? <laughs> Nothing to see here. And here's the thing. If you've gotten to the age of 60 years old and you're not realizing that there's more to life than everything that you gave yourself for, what are you looking at? Right? The focus should be on this soul that's going to live forever and the only answer for your soul is Jesus himself. Somebody say amen. Listen, if you're online today and you need Jesus, just push the button that says, I have decided. Listen, that take you to a form. You'll fill out it and get to Pastor John and his team. If you're here today, right, and you need Jesus, right, outside to the right is guidance point. We'll be out there. If you're in the land, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Ryan are there to speak with you. But the heart, listen, the soul, the soul, the soul. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by he who can kill the body. Understand the need of the soul. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing that Mary talks about in her, in her song. And that is this pillar of privilege. So I love football. I love it. I love watching it, but I, I love football, but I love the Chicago bears. You hear me? Right? Like, like, I can't even begin to describe to you how much I love 
watching this team play. I will be sad when the season is over. I will miss them for those 200 days. I will watch videos of old games that I have recorded just, just to stay into it, right? I love the Bears, but let's be clear. They're terrible, okay? <laughs> they are abysmal. They are no fun to watch, okay? Yes, we've won a couple games in a row, but at this point, who cares, right? And a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we were fortunate enough to play the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know if you know who they are, but they are the reigning Super Bowl champions. <laughs> who cares, right? Anyway, they are the reigning Super Bowl champions. They came to Chicago on a Sunday afternoon and had a 425 kickoff. The worst team, the worst team in the NFC. The Bears played one of the best teams in the AFC, the Chiefs. And nobody cared about the game. Except for the 27 million people that watched it because this woman showed up and made everybody want to watch it. The single highest viewed game this week, the week the Bears, who at the time had two wins, were playing the Chiefs. Nobody would have watched, and yet the largest viewing audience that weekend was for the Bears, 41 to 10 blowout loss to the Chiefs. Why? Because Taylor Swift happened to show up to the game. Because apparently Miss Goody Two-Shoes is dating somebody in the NFL. And now, and now according to every statistic, NFL viewership has gone through the roof because people want to see her. A couple weeks later, the Chiefs played the Jets, another terrible football team. Horrible. And yet that day when the Chiefs played the Jets, of the people in Kansas City who were watching the game that week, 83% of televisions, 83%, 83 out of every 100 TVs that were on in Kansas City were watching the Chiefs play the Jets because Taylor Swift was in the crowd. Because apparently, she's a big deal. People, people are paying attention to her. They're watching. Now, I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to what Mary said. Not Taylor. I want you to listen to what Mary said. You remember Mary, right? The 15-year-old Jewish girl who's engaged to be married. And she's a virgin. She's done it right. She's found her future husband. She's betrothed to him. This year-long engagement, as good as married, has to have a divorce to get out of this arrangement. And she has kept herself pure. An angel shows up and says to this woman, and let's be clear, Mary is a poor girl. Of the economic status in the community that she lived, she was in the lowest, 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 lowest rank. She was poor. And she was a virgin. And she was a girl. And in that society, she wasn't thought much of. But she found her man. She found her husband-to-be who would validate her and give her value because he would give her children. Meanwhile, God said, Mary, I'm going to give you this plan, not asking your opinion. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to overshadow you. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And while you're engaged to be married to Joseph in a society that discards women like they discard cattle, you're going to get pregnant. And you're going to become a social outcast. And people are going to think that you are a loose woman. And they're going to look at you a certain way. And nobody's going to like you. And they're going to expect it because you're a poor girl in a poor community. And here's what she says. God 
was mindful of me. Everybody say mindful. The word's used three times in the New Testament. And here's what it means. It means to look at Mary like she was Taylor Swift. It means to pay particular attention to. It means put your focus on. Over 28.3 million people watched the Chiefs play the Jets the weekend they played. A game that meant nothing because one team was terrible and another team was good. And the reason why there was that many people, because people were mindful that that girl was in the crowd. Mary said, a poor girl, an outcast girl. A girl who was going to be cast out of her social circle because she was pregnant before marriage. She said, God was mindful of me. He paid attention to me. I didn't have to be Taylor Swift. I don't have to write songs and I don't have to be popular on social media. I don't have to be rich and I don't have to be beautiful. I don't have to have the perfect life. And yet God was mindful of me. You see, the message of Christmas isn't just to address your soul's greatest need. The message of Christmas is to address every person's soul's greatest need. Maybe you're sitting in here and you think of yourself like Mary. Maybe you're a single mother. Maybe you're an outcast. Maybe you're poor. Maybe you have a million reasons why you think that no one would be mindful of you. Maybe you post things on social media and nobody likes them. Right? Maybe you're the kind of person that believes that, that only God, that God is only mindful of people that are worthy of being mindful of. They either have to sing, right? The way, the way our worship team sings or play the way Charles and their team plays. Or maybe they have to be somebody who preaches on stage, right? Or they do some, listen, maybe you think that God's only mindful of you if you're worthy of it. Mary said God was mindful of me. Of me. And she didn't just say he was mindful of me. She said he was mindful of me in my humble state. The Greek word isn't humble the way you would think of it when you hear it. The Greek word means humiliation. It means lowly. Right? It means the kind of state that other people would dismiss. I grew up poor. Incredibly poor. Very, very poor. I grew up in a house that was built in the 1800s. My, my dad's grandpa built it. He put it, he didn't even put it into the ground. He just set it on the foundation of slate rock that he got from the creek. It was a freezing cold house. We had no indoor plumbing. We had no indoor indoor water, right? We had to take baths outside because we had a well out there. We heated our stove, our house with coal from one stove. We didn't have a bathroom. We had an outhouse that if it was 14 degrees below zero, you had to go out to the outhouse to use it. We grew up incredibly dirt poor. And I had a dad that loved embarrassing his children. And he would wait for the school bus to pull up. And he would walk out of the outhouse just to embarrass us when the bus would drop us off, right? You, if you know me and you wonder what's wrong with me, stick around. I'll tell you, right? You know, I didn't grow up in possum scratch or wherever Joe grew up, right? But I grew up poor, right? And here's the thing about being poor. If you grew up poor, you know this. If you grew up poor, you know this. And that is that you understand how people would look at you because of your humble state. You would understand the humiliation that came with being greasy haired and wearing hand-me-down shirts that your mom would take your brother's short sleeve shirt. And to make it look new, she would take her scissors and she would cut little strands free on the sleeves so she would give it to you and it would seem new to you. That's the way we grew up and we wondered, we wondered, would anybody ever pay attention to us in our humble state? 
And two people started stopping by our house and started telling us about a God who actually was mindful of people in that humble state. And I didn't believe it. There was no way I was buying that somebody cared about me as a poor person. There was no way I was going to hear about a God who would be mindful of someone whose state was humiliated by poverty. I didn't believe it. But when I finally did believe it, a year later, I gave my life to it. And I went to Bible college. And then after four years of Bible college, I humiliated my state differently than being poor. Four years later, I was a divorced person who had cheated on his spouse. And she had left him. And we had lost a child. And my church had fired me. And I was left homeless. I was left without my family. And all of a sudden my state of humiliation wasn't poverty. It was simply a person who had made too many mistakes to count. And my life was a disaster. And I did not believe for a second that God would ever be mindful of me again. And there are so many of you in here that I know know that story. You've lost hope that God could be mindful of you. Because you've lost You've lost. You're a one or two or three time loser in marriage. You've made more mistakes than you can count. You're an addict. You still struggle with addiction, right? You know the state of humiliation, maybe not by being poor, but by making poor choices. And it took me seven years, even with a Bible college degree, to realize that God had always been mindful of me. Because God's always mindful of those in a humble state. I don't care where you're at and what you've done and who you are and where you've been. Whether you're in Deland, online, or here in Norman, God was mindful of Mary's humble state. He paid attention to her. He understood how to do it. And here's the, here's the reason why. Because Paul tells us in Philippians 2, he says these words. Don't do anything on selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Well, what was it? He says, Jesus' attitude was this, being in very nature God. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. It says, but he made himself nothing. He took the nature of a servant and being made like a human, right? He says, he found and being found in appearance of man, everybody in the land, online, in Ormond, read this with me. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That word humbles means the same word that Mary used when she said, God was mindful of me in my humiliated state. You got a savior and I got a savior because Jesus was willing to make himself so low to be humiliated. He humiliated himself for you. And maybe you're sitting in here and you think your condition is so low, so low to be so despised that no one could be mindful of it. Let's be clear. The message of Jesus is that he came for your soul. And the way that he did it was he became more humiliated than you could ever imagine. He humbled himself to the point of death. Death for a criminal. And Jesus was innocent. And he had all the authority and all the power. And he let morons like Pilate thought they have the power. Why? So he could humiliate himself for you. You're black or you're white or you're a woman or a man or you're rich or you're poor. It does not matter. God is mindful of those in the humble state. Why? Because he did it himself for us. And so Jesus says in Matthew 18 to all of us, he says these words, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he explains it. Therefore, whoever humbles, humiliates, who's willing to lower themselves to a situation or a station that is low, if whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest and the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. James makes it more clear in James 4. And he says in James chapter 4 these words. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God's? God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world has become an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies or is jealous for you, but he gives more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, those who won't humiliate themselves, those that won't lower themselves. God opposes those people, but he gives grace to the humble, those who are willing to humiliate or put themselves in a low position. He says, Here's the answer. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will what? He'll lift you up. Listen, the message of Jesus is pretty simple. It's your soul that God is coming for. And he chose Mary. Is she blessed among women? Absolutely. Is she blessed above all women? No. Because like you and like me, her soul cried out for a savior. And the reality is every person in here, every person in the land and every person online is privileged. Why? Because God is mindful of your humiliated state. And he so loved you that he was willing to humiliate himself to come find you. And all you have to do to receive it is humble yourself and he will lift you up. Listen, if you need to make that decision today, today's the day to make it. Listen, don't leave. Don't leave here. Don't leave the land. Don't leave being online without making that decision. If you need to get baptized, Pastor Kerry's in the hallway to get you signed up for that. If you need to talk to somebody here, we've got a room that we'd love to talk with you in. It's a little bit more private than standing up front. If you're in the land, Ryan and Aaron are there. And if you're online, Pastor John is there. But Jesus said, I've come, right? I've come to seek the lost. There's not a person in here, online or in the land, that at one point in time or another hasn't been lost. If you need Jesus, the answer is simple. Humble yourself and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Father, grateful. I'm always grateful. I'm always mindful of those people in my life that made me aware of a God who was mindful of me. And even though I spent nearly a decade running from that because I couldn't believe that God would ever be mindful of such a sinner as me after accepting Jesus. You found me and you were, you made me mindful that you never quit being mindful of me. If I have no idea where the people are at in this room or online or in the land, but I know you do. And I pray more than anything, Lord, that you'll make them know that you're mindful of them as you were of Mary. And that you have the answer for their soul's heart cry. And that's your son, Jesus. So God, do your work in our hearts. 
So we come to faith and knowledge of your son, Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen.